Those of you that were here two weeks ago will know why I asked for that scripture for this morning because two weeks ago I began to look at these verses that we usually use when we come together for uh, communion. But I looked specifically at this portion of scripture, but rather than usually from the English Standard Version that I use, I turned to uh, the New Living Translation, as I did with some other translations, just to read how this portion of scripture has been translated in them. And it was upon my reading of the New Living Translation of verse 20 that caused me to start to bring two weeks ago what I began to share from this verse and what we're going to continue with this morning. And so verse 20 in the English Standard Version reads, And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But when we come to look at it at the New, new Living Translation, it reads there, After supper he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so I highlighted it in the New Living Translation, both in this verse, verse 20 of Luke 22, and the corresponding verses in 1 Corinthians 11, which we've just had read to us as well, that the New Living Translation had, ha, adds into that verse that little phrase that says, an agreement confirmed with blood. And those that were here, you will remember, and for those that weren't here, uh, to repeat it, I said that it, was, it isn't that the ones that have translated the other versions have left something out. And it's not that the ones who have translated the New Translation, New Living Translation, have added something in. What the, the compilers of the New Living Translation are doing is they are just adding the emphasis to help us to understand what it is that this New Covenant is all about. And if you were to go to the Amplified Bible, um, the 2015 edition anyway, I don't know about the older edition, it actually says there, as, as it writes out what it does for this verse, it uses the word ratify, saying that this new covenant has been ratified by the precious blood of Jesus. So this new covenant, this agreement between God and his people, what is it all about? Well, up until that moment of time, when Jesus met with the disciples for this Passover meal. And I'll add here that the Passover, the celebration of the Passover, is primarily and distinctly to do with the people of Israel, the Jew. The church isn't called to celebrate the Passover. It is a Jewish celebration, a Jewish festival. But on this occasion, when Jesus was meeting with the disciples, for this Passover meal, we find that he instigated or turned it into what it is that he wanted the church to celebrate and to remember. And so what was the Passover, and still is the Passover for the children of Israel, for the Jew, there in the upper room becomes what we call our communion, the Lord's Supper. So we don't celebrate the Passover as the children of Israel do. 
but we celebrate, we commemorate what we call the Lord's Supper. For we do this in remembrance of him until he comes again. And so up until this time, the time of Christ's incarnation, God's people were the children of Israel. But now from this moment, from the Passover and the communion that was instituted and Christ going out and dying at Calvary, we find that this new covenant that, God was, uh, that Christ was establishing between God and the people was going to be for the whole world. So we read from John 3.16, it says there, For God so loved the world. Aren't we glad that it doesn't say, For God so loved Israel. For God so loved the Jew, or for God so loved the people of Israel, that he sent his one and only Son into the world, so that whoever out of that group believes on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. If that's how it read, it would be leaving us out. Because I don't know, as far as I'm aware, that not one of us here this morning is Jewish by birth. We are the Gentiles. And so we would have been left out of what God had purposed to do. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And so this new covenant that Jesus was establishing there in the upper room was between God and the people of the world, but more primarily to those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds of this in his first epistle. 1 Peter 2, 9-10. We need to understand that as Peter is writing that letter, he's writing this to believers in general. Yes, there may have been Jewish believers, but there would have been Gentile believers receiving and reading the same letter. And so he says to them there in the second chapter, but you, whoever they were, Jew or Gentile, so long as they were born again by the Spirit of God, but you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this agreement that we read of, let me read it again in the New Living Translation. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, see, it was a different cup. Different cup. Another cup to institute this new covenant. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So this agreement, which was ratified by the precious blood of Jesus, guarantees, that's what I talked about the last time, an agreement guarantees something. And so this new covenant, an agreement confirmed with his blood, guarantees or affirms several things in regard to those who come to believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to look at five of them today and this will conclude the study on these verses um, as we get through them uh, and two of them are going to look together and this is what I want us to understand the precious blood of Jesus an agreement has been made that guarantees this for every single one of us that comes to faith the shed blood guarantees atonement for the sinner 
The shed blood guarantees acquittal for the sinner. The shed blood guarantees acceptance for the sinner. The shed blood guarantees access for the sinner. And the shed blood guarantees adoption for the sinner. So let's just look at these points very quickly. First of all, the shed blood guarantees atonement for the sinner. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 7, we read there the account where Isaiah was found in the temple. And it says there in verse 7, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. What had happened there in Isaiah chapter 6? Well, Isaiah had come into the presence before the Holy God. You know that it says there in the one verse, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He'd come into the presence of Almighty God. Or I should say the presence of God came into the temple. And he came into that temple. And he came face to face with the holiness of God. And as he stood in the presence of God, he recognized his sinfulness. And he cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people. And as he stood in the presence of God, his cry, woe is me. It was a cry of desperation. It was a cry of repentance. But what could be done for him? A holy God, sinful Isaiah. He's recognized his sinfulness. He cries out, woe is me. What could be done for him? And the answer came through the actions of the angel who was holding in his hand a tongue. And he went and he got a burning coal from off the altar and he touched the lips of Isaiah with it and then said to him, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Just visualize the scene. The holy God and sinful Isaiah. Isaiah couldn't do absolutely anything about his sinfulness. His cry, woe is me, shows us this. And God provided an intermediary, a go-between, an angel who did what was required to bring atonement for Isaiah. And Isaiah accepted what was done. He went away from that temple knowing that he was guilt-free and knowing that his sin had been atoned for. And as I look at that picture there in Isaiah chapter 6, to me it's a beautiful picture of what Calvary is all about. See, you and I, in comparison to the Holy God, we are wretches. We are sinners. We are men and women of unclean lips. We live unclean lives. And we also, like Isaiah, we need to cry out, Woe is me! As we compare what we are in comparison to the one who is the Holy God. And the good news for us is that God has provided a means of atonement. Not with an angel, not with tongues, not with a hot coal from off the altar, but he has provided atonement for us through his eternal son who came into this world to hang upon and to die on a cruel cross 
of crucifixion. And as he did this, as he hung on that cross, bleeding and dying, he poured out his soul, Isaiah 53 says. He shed forth his precious blood as the only means of atonement for the sin of mankind. And as I was preparing these thoughts, as I got to that point, I just had to begin to sing. And I wrote down the words of that song that says, Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-scarred hands. And as we come to accept what Christ has done on our behalf, as we are washed in his cleansing blood, it guarantees this is the agreement as we're washed in his precious blood. It guarantees for us that our sin is atoned for. Our guilt is taken away and we stand before God as justified. That is just as if we have never sinned and we are clothed in the robes of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ, which he imputes to us. What an agreement. What an agreement that has been confirmed with the precious blood of Jesus. His blood guarantees atonement to all who will believe in him by faith. Just a couple of scriptures, Romans 3, 23 to 25 says, For there is no distinction. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is where that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith the NIV translates it this way God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith 1 John chapter 2 and verses 1 to 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, or he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And 1 John 4.10, a verse I've got to love so much over these last a couple of years in this is love in this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us isn't that wonderful he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so the first part of the agreement is this the blood guarantees atonement for those who believe this immediately takes us to the second point. The blood guarantees acquittal from sin. In a sense, this thought is already covered under the work of the atonement, but we need to remind ourselves that it is the blood that was shed and then applied to our lives that guarantees that all of our guilt, all of our sin is taken away. This is all the sin of our past. But what if we sin after we come to faith? And let's be honest, we all sin in so many varied ways. What do we do? 
Well, I want to reassure you this morning that as we, and this is the important thing, as we remain in Christ, we also remain in a position of righteousness and with the assurance that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it is important to add that if we stay in a position of willfully sinning, that is, we know we are sinning and deliberately keep sinning, then there is no forgiveness for that unrepentant sin. For what we are doing is, as we read in Hebrews 10, verse 29, we are trampling underfoot the Son of God and will be profaning the blood of the covenant. This is the blood that we're talking about. We will be profaning the blood of the covenant by which we were saved and will also be outraging the spirit of grace. This is serious stuff. We cannot continue to live in sin willfully. If we know that we are sinning, we must confess that sin. And if we know we are sinning and we've confessed that sin, then we must no longer sin in that same manner. We must put it away. And we must strive to live faithfully, knowing that the blood of Christ has covered us from our sin. But if we're striving to do all we can, this is the good news to live holy and acceptable lives. We can be assured that not one sin will be held against us. For the agreement signed by the blood of Christ acquits us of all sin. We have been acquitted from the responsibility of anything we have done that was against God. For we are both justified and continually sanctified by the precious blood. See, the Bible says that all of sin, all, no one excluded, all of sin and have fallen short of God's standard. And it also says that the wages of sin is death. We cannot get away from that. The wages of sin is death. So something needs to be done about it. And I cannot acquit myself. I cannot absolve myself. There is no other living person on the planet earth that can acquit me or absolve me of my sin. Whether a layman or a priest, and my work, good works can never absolve me. It took God to take the initiative. And he did this by sending his son to die in my place. And as a result, his precious shed blood that once applied to my life absolves or acquits me of sin and the effects of that sin. So therefore the atonement must do at least two things. It deals with the sin itself and it also deals with the punishment for that sin. The sin needs to be taken away. John the Baptist, as he saw Jesus walking towards him, we read in John chapter 1, he cries out, Behold, look, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the punishment needs to be removed. And thank God that Christ takes the punishment on our behalf. And as he does, and as we come by faith, it absolves me of any responsibility for it. An acquittal, forgiveness for sin, can only be received by coming to the cross and to the Saviour who hung on the cross. So acquittal from sin can only take place at Calvary. Nowhere else. It can only take place at Calvary. And Christ's shed blood is the guarantee that acquits us of all our unrighteousness and gives us a right standing 
before God. So it is in Christ alone and through or by his atonement that our sin can be taken away and at the same time its punishment removed. The guarantee signed with the precious blood is this, that we've been acquitted and all the charges that were written against us have been removed. From Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 22, I've selected something from out of those verses rather than read them all. It says there, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. How much more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Since a death has occurred that redeemed them, redeems them from the transgressions. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Colossians 2 verse 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a life together with him, that's with Jesus, having forgiven us all our transgressions by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then Revelations 1 verse 5, to him who loves us. And what? To him who loves us and has freed us. Freed us from what? Freed us from our sins. And how has he done it? By his blood. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin. By his blood. So then we move to the next two points together. The blood guarantees acceptance. And I want to link with that the point of the word the blood gives us or guarantees us access. Remember Isaiah again. Woe is me. Woe is me. Because of his sinfulness, he realised he had no right whatsoever to be found in the presence of God. See, sin caused a great divide to come between man and God. A big divide. Before the fall, man was innocent. He had unhindered fellowship with God. Imagine what it must have been like in the cool of every single evening. God would come down and God would walk and talk in the garden with Adam and Eve. It must have been incredible. It must have been amazing. There was nothing between them. But then, all of a sudden, it gets broken. It becomes ruined and destroyed because Adam and Eve fell into transgression. And after they'd fallen into transgression, God came down into the garden and he could not find them. Why? Because a sin had come between man and God. And Adam and Eve realised it and they had to hide themselves from God. The intimate fellowship was lost. Sin disrupted and spoiled the fellowship they had. And we know as it goes on to say in Genesis, they were banished from the garden. 
There were no more evening walks with God. Their sin had separated them from God. And as a result, every person born ever since has been born as a sinner and born separated from God. But the wonder of, or the good news concerning what happened when Christ died at Calvary is this. His shed blood not only guarantees forgiveness, but it guarantees reconciliation. That intimate fellowship that was lost in the Garden of Eden is recovered at Calvary. And as Jesus died, at the very same moment that Jesus died, the, the scriptures record for us that the curtain, the veil that hung in the temple, was turned, torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that the barrier between God and man was torn away, was taken away. Meaning that all who come to Calvary are guaranteed by the agreement of the shed blood that they're a guaranteed access into the presence of God again. And this is the wonder of salvation. We have fellowship with him. We can come into his presence, no longer crying out, woe is me, but instead we cry out, salvation belongs to our God. And the Hebrew writer helps us so much in this with Hebrews 4 verse 16. It's a verse we know very well. It says, let us then, that is believers, all of us that have come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 10, 19 reads this, Therefore, brothers, <coughs> sisters, we have confidence. That's what we have this morning. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have entrance again into the presence of God and it is guaranteed for us because of the agreement that has been made with the shed blood. Again, as I was finishing this point, my thoughts went to some songs again and some hymns. And the one that came to my mind is an older hymn, which is a lovely hymn, No More Veil. No More Veil. God bids me enter by the new and living way, not in trembling hope I venture, boldly I his call obey. There with him, my God, I meet. God upon the mercy seat. In the robes of spotless whiteness, with the blood of priceless worth, he has gone into that brightness, Christ rejected from the earth, Christ accepted there on I, and in him do I draw nigh. Oh, the welcome I have found now. Have you found that welcome? Are you finding that welcome every day? Oh, the welcome I have found there. God in all his love made known. Oh, the glory that surrounds there. Those accepted in his Son, who can tell the depths of bliss spoken by the Father's kiss. We need to get hold of this. We need to grasp this wonderful truth. We can boldly come before God. We have been accepted in the Beloved. And so this moves on to what is my final point. The blood guarantees adoption. Adoption is amazing. It brings someone who is outside of a family into the family. They suddenly, once the adoption has been signed, the agreement has been signed, they suddenly have equal rights as everyone who is already 
in the family. Let's turn to some well-known scriptures. Galatians 4, 47. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that what? Well, everything else I've been talking about, yes. But it says here, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave. Could I add, you're no longer an outsider, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons. By whom we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's wonderful. We've been adopted into the family of God and the adoption certificate was signed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the blood shed at Calvary was the signature that signed the agreement of our adoption certificate. We're allowed to be excited about this. Because of the cross, because of the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the shed blood, when we come by faith to accept what Christ has done for us, God becomes our Father who art in heaven. We come to become adopted as into his family. We become his sons and daughters. We are heirs of the Father and we are joint heirs with the Son. Now as much as we need to rejoice in this wonderful news, that is that by faith we are adopted into the family, we need to understand that it also has implications. See, we can draw from the analogy of the human family in that as parents we expect respect from our children. We expect obedience from our children. We expect honour from our children. We expect our children to live in ways that please us. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. As we've been adopted into his family, he has standards which he expects us to maintain. He has rules which are righteous rules he expects us to follow. And he expects us to honour him with our lives and with our lips, with the things we speak and the things we say. And just as children have expectation or demands that they place upon their parents, so we can with our Heavenly Father. And He loves us to come to Him and to ask. He loves us to look up to Him and to cherish His presence, His companionship. He loves to treat us well. He loves to delight in us. And He loves to take us up into the embrace of His love. He, he loves to take hold of our hand and to lead us onward and upward. You know, one of the joys for me has been a father and a grandfather, and there are lots and lots of joys, but there are some things that are really, really special. And some of the joys that I will always cherish is the fact that when one of my children have come alongside me and they've just taken hold of my hand. 
And the same now with the grandchildren. As the grandchildren are walking alongside you, there's just something precious about when they just suddenly take hold of your hand because they want to feel safe. They want to walk with you. And our Heavenly Father, He desires to satisfy our needs. He longs to watch over us and to protect us. And He loves to be all that a good father should be towards his children. So going back to Luke 22, 20, from the NLT, New Living Translation. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, first, thank God for the second cup of wine that led to the new covenant. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you so i conclude by simply saying this what an amazing agreement an amazing agreement signed in red not ink from a pen but signed in the most precious substance that will ever be known in this world the blood of jesus and the signed agreement guarantees us atonement. It guarantees us acquittal. It guarantees us acceptance. It guarantees us adoption. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. The precious, precious blood of Jesus. Close with the words of a little chorus. I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary says. I love you. I love you, I love you, written in red.